De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies with the best growth potential and how to build a brand in Web3. Joining us is Lauren Gruski, the Chief Revenue Officer at Permission.io, the leading provider of permission-based Web3 advertising. The company has created the ASK Coin, a tokenized reward that empowers consumers to opt in, own and monetize their data while delivering engaged audiences to marketers. Advertisers reward consumers with ASK for interacting with brands and content, building loyalty and trust. So far this week, Lauren and I have talked about using crypto to drive growth. And today, we're going to wrap up our conversation by discussing educating legacy brands on Web3. Okay, here's my conversation with Lauren Gruski, the Chief Revenue Officer at Permission.io. Lauren, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Great to be with you here again. Cool topic. I have to say, cool, cool topic. Love these topics. I feel like we probably have about two weeks worth of episodes here we would have want to cover. But we got to get to the guts of it. Web3. Talk to us about the wonderful world of Web3, where the data monopolies like Google and Facebook are slain by the forces of good, which is distributed data underpinned by blockchain technology. So, Lauren, you're in the cutting edge here. Tell us what Web3 is and how it disrupts the current dominators of advertising. Sure. Well, I think the headline is Web3 is about brands creating value versus extracting the value for themselves. And so if we think about what it comes to a world of data, as you mentioned, as a key tenant here, you know, Internet was Internet Web.1 was all about signing in and getting online through the, the World Wide Web and the Internet itself. It was sort of single sign on. And then we moved to the world of Facebook and Google and Amazon and this world where you signed up for their services and in exchange, they took your data and exploited your data and essentially brokered that data off in a number of different ways, whether it was through selling it to other advertisers on the platform or whether it was actually brokering it off to third parties. But essentially in web 2.0, it was all about the platforms extracting value from their users. And in Web 3.0, we moved to a world where we're going to have to build authentic services and let consumers opt in if they choose into the space. And so that's kind of like if we summarize what's here in Web 3, there has to be an exchange and transparency around consumer data. Now, there's quite a bit taking place in the Web 3 economy. So I'll just end on here are the key things we're thinking about when we move to Web 3. Of course, blockchain. It's built on a chain. It's it's immutable and transparent. And those two keywords, if you keep those two keywords in mind, when you think blockchain, that's essentially what it means. Then there's other things like data ownership, community, 
opt-in value exchange as key tenants as we think about what Web3 means. And then there's the actual widgets or functions inside of Web3, which is crypto, NFTs, wallets, and of course, the metaverse, which is also a community. Okay. That's a great summary, by the way, Lauren. And there's a lot to unpack there. I want to start with trends, actually. And you mentioned GDPR yesterday and specifically how that's really kind of driven a lot of change in how consumers think about their data. I think a big educational component, even outside of the EU for the US. I think the uh, 2016 election cycle also created this understanding of, hey, my data is out there. Cambridge Analytica was a good example of people really fully understanding the power of that data. Are there other items you'd kind of point to or trends that have kind of been pushing people towards Web3 or pushing the industry towards Web3 we should be aware of? Yeah, first and foremost, I just want to address the Cambridge Analytica piece, which was not only like the, the value of their data, but the responsibility of the data collector and the data processor to treat your data as if it was their own. And that was one of the biggest challenges was there was not responsibility and accountability built into the data that was leaked, essentially. And so that was started a lot of speculation around, well, what's really taking place? Consumers started to become more conscious about what, what goes on when my data goes into these platforms or, or, you know, a hack is understandable, but what is the responsibility and accountability to these platforms, not only handling my data, but also to a certain extent, transparently sharing with me what they're doing with that data. And so we see things like GDPR, we see other regulation coming state by state here in the US, we see some challenges taking place with being able to pass data across essentially the pond, you know, being able to pass data throughout country to country. So there's a lot of changes coming when we look at legislation and regulation with data. But then there's other changes coming that are more based on competitive advantages in data. Now, Apple's given us a really great PSA around the idea that you must ask permission for data if a platform is going to use it. And now they're holding everyone accountable to do that. It's had major implications and has resulted in the advertiser paying more for advertising and the platforms not having access to the same level of data and individual level data that they used to have. And we're going to see this continue to happen as Google is making the same changes with Android and cookies essentially are going to rest in peace as we move into 2023 and beyond. So right now, more than ever, advertisers and you know sort of digital marketers are all concerned about how do I get first party data or what we call zero party data, which is what data do I, I actually have for my consumer that I can use to inform how I market to them. And what's in it for the brands? Is, is it about breaking away? So what's in it for the revenue leaders at the brands at this point, helping make this transition? Is it just simply overcoming the problem with first versus third party data? Are there other things that tend to motivate brands to, to recognize and kind of help make the switch, if you will? The reality is, if we even look at some of the challenges that took place with Apple, you know, Facebook essentially put a whole campaign out to their advertisers to say, please ask Apple to not make this shift because they knew it was going to have a significant impact on their business. That was the first time we actually 
saw Facebook do such a thing from a PR standpoint. And so what we saw was that advertisers kept on the same, you know, using the same data tactics they'd always had, didn't really prepare until it actually came and the impact took place. So right now, I think we'll continue to see advertisers use Web2 models. Much of Web3 is built on Web2 as we transition to a world where we develop a trust and transparency with the consumer. So as I sort of mentioned at the top of the hour is we'll have to build authentic relationships with consumers that they can opt in and opt out at any time of how I market to them and how I essentially introduce my services to them. So that's something to really keep in mind around Web3 is that it's not going to just be about creating all of these data pools and then spraying your advertising messages at them anymore. It's going to be about collaborating with the consumer and having the consumer sort of take ownership of the brand with the brand. And it brings up one other topic, which is why I think NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which are brand assets that a user can actually have a fractional piece of ownership in your company with now as a part of your brand. So I think we're seeing some of these things in Web3 really sort of transform how we think about the marketing 101 tactics that we've always used. So what I'm hearing here as well, Lauren, is at the end of the day, if people are opting in, the likelihood of a conversion increases because at some point they've engaged with the brand in a way that says, I'm interested. I want to hear what you have to say. But I, I want to back up just a wee bit. And I want to talk about what allows Web 3.0 to exist in the future and the ways that it needs to. And very specifically, how blockchain plays a role. And you mentioned NFT a moment ago. I want to get back to NFTs. But let's start with blockchain. How does blockchain help marketers, revenue leaders break out from underneath the Googles and the Facebooks of the world? Yeah, well, I think at a high level, as I mentioned before, it, the blockchain is immutable, which means you can't argue with it. It's truth. If you owned an asset before I owned it, Doug, I would know forever that you were an original owner of it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of when we would go to the library and you would pick out the library card in the back of the book and see who else had this before me. It's very similar to that. So we can't argue with what the blockchain said is, says is true. And there's another piece about it, which is it's transparent. So we can go and look into the blockchain and see what's taken place. And I think if we keep those two key tenants in mind, when we think about the blockchain, that's how we have to start thinking about what it is that we're developing and the implications of that for our brands and for our assets. As revenue leaders, we have these really tough jobs. And, and I know this is a theme. Listeners are like, great. We hear about this all the time. But really is. These are tough jobs we have. Yeah. And, and a part of it is so hard is, and especially for organizations like yours, like you have multiple different dependencies on tipping points, if you will, in the market, right? There are things that have to go well in order for the brand to succeed. It doesn't matter how brilliant you are or anybody else on the team. And I'm curious, is, is there a Web 3.0 tipping point for you, Lauren, where you're like, yes. We're on our way. This is an example of how we've actually begun to make this transition happen. Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is it's not just looking at the initial conversion, where in the past we look at only revenue metrics, only cost per conversion, only downstream value. But we have to measure the longevity of the value that these customers actually provide for a brand. So the value of that conversion, we believe, goes up because the consumer is opting in. There's a relationship that starts to be developed with that brand. And so there's a lot of work that we do on the backside to ensure that nurturing that relationship is something that takes place, building 
building community, giving you know utility to users beyond just the actual transaction, that sort of thing. So in terms of the tipping point around this industry, of course, the the more users that move into adopting wallets, coming into cryptocurrency, that helps all tides rise together. Um, but we also see that we're generating really great results for our advertising partners. And that's the key way that we're going to continue to bring more users into opt-in rewards and also bring more advertisers along to feel comfortable with this actually being something that they're willing to take the risk around. So what we typically see is that when we add an opt-in reward and look at that against a, you know, trying to, to have a user take an action on a non-opt-in reward, we see a 400% greater engagement. Now you can't argue with those metrics. And that's essentially, you know, if we talk about tipping points, these are the tipping points that are driving more advertiser interest around getting involved in this type of a marketing experiment. And, you know, if we, we kind of unwind things a bit more and just in terms of understanding how to start maybe for a brand. So there's a brand listing in right now and they want to know, okay, I'm interested. I have this challenge. I agree, Lauren, everything you said is brilliant. What's step one for a brand if they want to start making this transition? Yeah, I mean, I think it's very simple. We essentially make it a very low barrier to entry. So all we do is repurpose the assets that a brand may have and add the call to action, which is if now you're you're asking a consumer to learn more, we say learn more and earn crypto. It's really that simple. And we do that throughout the entire portfolio of assets they have. And so it's really simple in terms of execution. What we typically also like to do is think about what's most important to you. Is it data capture? Is it shifting a brand metric like awareness, preference, or purchase intent? Or is it potentially um, driving leads? And so we sort of look at where in the funnel they may have a, a propensity to lean in around rewarding in cryptocurrency. So we've done a lot of really fun things like rewarding users when they watch videos. We have a video player that when you get halfway through the video player, it's like a crypto explosion and <laughs> you start earning crypto as you go through the experience. And then of course, you know, just to sort of ladder back to this is we're also measuring sentiment around this as well. And and so, you know, initial results, while we don't have anything conclusive just yet, initial results are very favorable. And that through this value exchange, consumers have a better relationship with those brands. So we're really excited about that. But essentially, you know, it starts with just transforming the existing assets you have to have that crypto opt-in call to action. Any differences in terms of the data view that brands would have making this change? Yeah, so... Much of the data that we provide is PII data, personal identifiable information. That's not something that you're ever going to get from Google or Facebook. The data they get is going to inform your advertising that you run on their platform. What we do is we give you the personal identifiable information coming directly from the consumer that then is compliantly transferred into if you have a consumer data platform like I mean, there's a ton of them out there, but I don't want to promote any, so I won't say any, but most marketers know what those are. We transfer that data into your CDP so that you can action on it in the best way that makes sense for your brand and use it across your entire marketing ecosystem. That also enables you to start to develop profiles on your customers at an individual level and develop those relationships. So we feel that the value of the data that we provide is, you know, 100x more valuable than your data going into a big, huge algorithmic pool data lake that Google and Facebook have that is then being sold off to your competitors. 
Right. And so, hey, guys, here we are. We're right in the middle of the first party versus third party data wars. And we're right in the middle of making this transition from a cookie-less world. And I have to say, Lauren, you mentioned at the top that Apple at one point with iOS 14, I think consumers now remember every time they opened up an application, they had to give permission. And in many ways, you mentioned this before, that's very self-serving on Apple's part, by the way. It's it's creating more walls around their wall data garden, if you will. So I, I think, you know, for me and, and uh, my parting kind of comment here is, Pay attention, folks. First of all, you're dealing with a struggle between first and third party data. Look for solutions like this. I think Lauren's really positioning something here we need to pay attention to. And Lauren, really appreciate you spending some time with me today. My pleasure. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Lauren Gruski, Chief Revenue Officer at Permission IO, for joining us. If you'd like to contact Lauren or learn more about her, you can find a LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact her directly on Twitter, where her handle is at Lauren Gruski, L-A-U-R-E-N-G-R-I-E-W-S-K-I, or visit our company website at permission.io. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to revgenpod.com, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the Revenue Generator podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed on the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself. <laughs>